promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. The traditional media and traditional partisan politicians on both sides of the aisle have been working overtime again this week to inflame your passions. And all that well-televised, all those rallies and all the reaction to them and CNN and etc., all that fire, fury, and bedevilment just extends and intensifies the hyperpartisanship in both Washington and Sacramento that gets in the way of solving any of the vexing problems facing our nation. We can't just give up. So my purpose is to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on your judgment. As a businesswoman, I focus on the numbers. The numbers tell me what's out of the norm, what needs attention, what we've got to triage right this moment, and then how to prioritize long-term necessary change. And in the numbers this week, according to Pew Research, in 2017, only 26% of registered voters identified as Republicans. 14.8% of all registered voters approve of the job Congress is doing. I think we are, as John McCain once said, down to friends and family <clears throat> on the approval side. Right this very moment, $34 billion of Chinese goods are subject to U.S. tariffs, 10% tariffs imposed as a national security device. And they are now talking about $200 billion in additional tariffs at 25%. So let's talk about what tariffs do and tariffs don't do. And then, then I had an interesting week last week. 1,700 separate identified visits from the Russian, from Russian Federation IP addresses hit the reimagineamerica.org website. Just in case you don't believe FBI Director Christopher Wray's White House statement on Wednesday that the Russians were responsible for the 2016 uh, attempts at, our, at manipulating our uh, Internet and social media sites, and if you uh, needed further proof, 1,700 individual visits from the Russian Federation alone— not to mention all the European sites that were bounced off, hit one server in 30 days. The attempt is to bring the server down, to make it, to push so much activity on it, to crash it so they can take it over. And there's enough, and, and um, we've spent most of a week removing their malware. So if you didn't believe it, I'm here to tell you it's real. And even little guys like me are being hit. So... Let's talk for just a moment about the shrinking size of the GOP as it turns into the GO 
GPT. That's the grand old party of Trump. This is one time where the statistics may not be a lie. The trend lines over the last year from both Pew and Gallup are telling the same story. The percentage of voters who identify themselves as Republican has slipped from 31% of the electorate a year ago to 26% this year. Now remember that President Trump was elected president with only 23% of registered votes, voters voting for him. So that means for 2020 that you're going to have to have 100% Republican turnout in order to have a chance of retaining the White House. That's not good news. So we need to, you know, we need to be discussing um, how we rebuild a conservative electorate between now and then. And Congress has a lot to do with that. So when you hear newscasters say that 80% of Republicans approve of the president's position on, mm, you can pick it, NATO, NAFTA, immigration, etc., Say that in a different way. Say that statistically, and then you'll understand why I think between now and 2020, there is such a need to rebuild the party. 80% of 31% is 24.8%. That is higher than the president's total in the 2016 election, while 80% of only 26% is 20.8% of the electorate. 20.8% of the electorate is not going to win a national election. The loss of GOP voters corresponds almost exactly with an increase in declared independent voters who've risen by the same 4% that the GOP has lost. So the bottom line is high approval numbers from self-identified Republicans may not be enough to carry the party's candidates in November 2018 or November 2020. That means, that means it's time for us to start to think about whether or not conservatives want to be part of the grand old party or the grand old party of Trump. So, so far we've seen four Trump-endorsed Republicans seeking either re-election um, or a primary nomination for their party for a higher for a higher political office, usually uh, members of Congress running for um, a governor's chair. Um, most recently, Diane Black, just this last Tuesday, with Trump's endorsement, ran fourth in the Tennessee gubernatorial primary. Only Mark Sanford lost his South Carolina primary race against a woman who was endorsed by President Trump. And even more worrisome for GOP candidates, the, the, the thing that you as a listener out there who's going to have to go into a ballot box in November and, and work to reelect um, a, a, a Republican member of Congress from the Central Valley, um, You've got to listen to these numbers and and be concerned. 14.8% of registered voters approve of Congress. 73.8% disapprove of Congress's performance. Stop and think about that. 
three-quarters of the American people, that moderate middle, that silent majority that Richard Nixon used to talk about, those blue-dog Democrats who elected um, Bill Clinton and then voted for change for Obama and then crossed to vote for Trump in 2016, those people disapprove that center of American politics disapproves of the performance of Congress. And so if you want Jeff Denham to continue to represent you, it's time to talk to Jeff about what the real issues are that we as voters care about. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about what Congress should be concentrating on. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. So let's go back, though, and talk about why Congress's disapproval ratio is so, so high. It's been this way for quite a number of years. It's not a phenomena in 2018. It's a phenomena that we keep reelecting the same people to Congress, given that these numbers have been quite static for nearly, for more than a decade, well, about a decade right now, since about the 2008 election. So, but let's talk about now and let's talk about going forward and let's talk about our expectations of what Congress ought to be doing and about the erosion of the separate and equal branches of government between Article One Congress and Article Two the executive. So here's the here's the bottom line on why we're at fourteen point eight percent and the Republicans are in um, real jeopardy of losing the House. And we are in real jeopardy. Don't be confused by the primary election numbers. We are in real jeopardy of losing one, two, or more Republican congressional seats here in California if if the conservative movement does not work hard to retain those seats. And that means Congress members doing things that inspire the voters in their district to come and reelect them because they're doing the people's business. So let's talk about that for a minute. The Trump taxes have had no real significant impact on average American voters' standard of living. Certainly here in California, they're liable to increase your federal tax bill and decrease your disposable income because of the $10,000 limit on income and uh, property tax. So for some of you out there, uh, this is really a tax increase in a way. But for most of America, the constant increase in the cost of health care has just about eaten up any increase in spending power that the middle class got from the Trump tax plan, which on paper really did offer a fairly significant benefit to the average American family. We also need to remember when we talk about health care is the number one issue again in this election, not the economy. The economy, knock on wood, is roaring. The economy is doing really well. So unless we as citizens and our government really screw it up, the economy is not the top issue. 
it is an issue in California. It is an issue nationally when you want to talk about income inequality. But I'm not sure that Congress between now and 2020 can so dramatically um, affect uh, income inequality. That's a longer term issue that we need to work on together as a nation. But the economy is not the number one issue in 2018. Every poll tells us the thing that really impacts every American family is the cost of health care. And we had Robert Pearl on again last week, and we'll have Robert back again. Um, and we'll keep talking about how a, a private sector modernization effort is, um, is the right approach to reducing cost, as it has in every other aspect of our lives. But when we go back to Congress, you'll remember that two years ago, the president and every member of Congress on the GOP side ran on repeal and replace Obamacare. And they promised they'd replace it with something that would be so much better. It would be cheaper. It would be better. And then the voters who bought this slogan for three election cycles from 2010 through 2016 found out that the GOP had no plan. The GOPT's plan, that is, the grand old party of Trump's plan was cobbled together hastily in dark back rooms by a few congressional staffers and a lot of very, very smart, very well paid, very effective healthcare industry lobbyists. Healthcare industry lobbyists and healthcare companies are the largest contributors to American political candidates of any one in under Citizens United or any or any union or anybody else they are the biggest contributors healthcare companies because they have something they want to protect they make the Koch brothers look like pikers so they wrote the two bills that failed in congress what emerged when we went when congress came out of its back room Uh, was a plan that improved the situation for insurance companies and drug companies at the expense of the very voters of you and me uh, and, you know, of of American voters who believe that their GOP Congress person was part of a group who had a plan to repeal and replace Obamacare with something that was better, quicker, cheaper. (laughs) You know what that plan really was? It was a cynical intention to blame President Hillary Clinton for the failure to d- to deliver improvements. That's what the plan really was. Hi, Antonio. Yeah. Hi. How are you? Well, I'm here uh, <laughs> kind of uh, looking at your presentation. And I think that uh, there's one important factor uh or the sector of society that actually has benefited greatly from the Trump administration, and that's the small savers, the people who are on fixed income, who have uh, money invested, they get to double their income from that investment. 
we know that the interest rates under Obama was at 1% or less than at most, and now that's, uh, that's double or tripled. And uh, that's not a small change. Uh, so uh, now, the, regarding the Republicans, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether uh, we can talk about Republicans, because I see that the, the, the people like Corker, Flake, McCain, McConnell, uh, Collins, Ryan, uh, th these people are, are trying to undermine the Trump administration. They have put uh, a, a Trojan horse in, in the Trump administration that is, that is actually pulling against Trump, uh, mainly in the Justice Department. They keep uh, going with this witch hunt, uh, and, and they don't want to stop it. They want to keep going and going. It's going to be going on the, the 2020 and beyond. It, it is up to them. So uh, let, let's look uh, at, the, at the boycott that the Trump administration is getting from the Republican Party. It, that, that's the reality. I wouldn't, I wouldn't exclude your show. I, I, I've been listening to your show for quite a while, and I see that the, 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 the rhetoric is, is mostly uh, against Trump. I'm a traditional conservative, Antonio, and, and President Trump is not. I'm a traditional conservative, as is Ryan. I'm a believer in free trade. Okay, I'm a believer that free trade will make a stronger economy and people's investments will be worth more. You know, tariffs are a tax. They're a tax on the very people who can't afford it. Okay, people, um, and, and my point is that the Republican Party is moving farther and farther to the right. It is accepting more and more of an authoritarian form of government. Um, and you know what? I don't think, I don't know that President Trump did anything wrong. But I can tell you from what I've been through in the past uh, week uh, that the Russians were here, the Russians are here, uh, and they want to influence this campaign. So I don't know that President Trump did anything wrong, but I'm going to quote one of those GOPT-type folk who are not going to run for re-election, Trey Gowdy, who, for whom I have an enormous amount of respect, who says about the president, if you're not guilty, stop acting like you are. I, I think the president needs to spend more time being a unifier and less time uh, being a divider. Less time, more time trying to work with Congress, with his majority Congress, and less time trying to use executive orders to go around the president, around the powers of Congress. Um, all of these tariffs, you know, tariffs are, are, that's the territory of Congress, and they're being left out of this. And we'll be back in just a moment after the commercial announcement. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. So thank you, Antonio, for spending a couple minutes with us. Let me, let me make it really clear so that nobody doubts what my position is. You know, I'm a person who believes in empirical evidence. I'm a person who looks at numbers. Okay, I'm, I, I try to be objective. Um, I, I've been, um, I've, I try to avoid, on the other hand, um, the paralysis of analysis. It's taken me a long time to learn that the um, uh, perfect is the enemy of the good, but I've mastered it. 
So here's where I come down on the whole Mueller investigation. Um, I've read every word of any of all of the indictments that have come out. Um, I, I'm going to agree with Christopher Ray um, and with Dan Coates. Uh, this is not a witch hunt and Rob Rosenstein and Attorney General and the Attorney General um, who all say this is not a witch hunt. Okay, that does not mean that President Trump did anything wrong. The only way we are ever going to know is if we do exactly what Trey Gowdy says. Let this investigation run to its logical conclusion. Yes, we need to bring it to a conclusion with all due dispatch. Um, and I somehow expect that we are uh, going to see a conclusion early in the in the new year because because the special consul um, is very sensitive about the election cycle, and so he's probably not going to issue indictments or a um, or a report or anything like that between Labor Day and the election. But my position is very simple. It's I don't know what the facts are. I know what I read. I know what I hear. And I read the actual indictments. And I'm going to say, based on my own experience, the Russians are here. That doesn't make President Trump guilty of anything. So let's just let the investigation play out. And in the meantime, some people who have defrauded the United States Treasury of a lot of money, not just Paul Manafort, but Tony Podesta and others. So this is a an equal opportunity um, pursuit of those who have committed uh, what are called political white collar crimes by hiding money offshore. Let's get them all indicted. Let's do let you know there's plenty of room on both sides of Bernie Madoff for all of these guys in a federal penitentiary for not following the rules that are laid out by Congress in terms of what income is and is not taxable. So I don't think this is a witch hunt. Let's put that one to bed. And then let's talk about what Congress should be doing while while letting Robert Miller complete his investigation and issue a report to them, okay? What they should be doing is trying to figure out how to explain to you, the voter, that they, that they understand what's wrong with our health care system, that it's inefficient and outdated and that costs money, um, that as long as you have good employer-paid insurance, you can ignore uh, the increased cost because it's masked to you. Somebody else is paying it. But you know what? You are paying it in higher copays and in bigger deductibles and in more expensive premiums, and you are paying it. If you're not paying those higher premiums, you're seeing lower pay raises because your employer only has so much money. You know, revenue is what comes in. Profit is what's left over after the expenses. And your health care is a huge expense for an employer. So we need Congress to work on making everything more efficient. 
on on not creating opportunities that guarantee insurance companies a 20% profit. Who else in this world gets guaranteed a 20% profit? Outside of Apple, of course. And they're not guaranteed it. They have to earn it every single quarter. So what Republican members of Congress need to do right now um, when they when when the left is talking about Medicare for all is they need to fight back with some reality. It is not the insurance. It's the underlying cost that's killing us. The thirty two billion dollars in additional revenue that would be spent in 10 years on um, or 32 trillion dollars that would be spent in addition to um, current spending on um, on Bernie Sanders plan 32 trillion with a T would come out of your and my pockets you see there aren't enough trillionaires in the country there aren't enough people billionaires in the country to pay for that and republican members of congress need to explain that they need to explain one what's being proposed is not medicare for all because medicare is a pretty good system for senior citizens in terms of care it is medicaid for all that's the only way to make it affordable if you have employer-based insurance in addition to health coverage, you also get vision, dental, and hearing. None of those exist in Medicare. And if you think Medicare is wrong, is free, you are wrong. But where are your, Demo- your Republican Congress members explaining that to you? No, you got to come listen to me. Medicare costs the average California um, Social Security recipient $250, $300 a month. Because you have to pay for supplemental insurance. You couldn't afford not to have supplemental coverage for your um, non-hospital expenses. And the prescription drug plan, Medicare Part D, if you don't enroll in that the minute you turn 65 and then you need uh, drugs when you're 70 and and so you say, okay, now I'm going to enroll, you're going to pay a penalty for every year you were not a member of that system. Until for the rest of your life. So effectively, Part D is a tax, which is why it costs less than the Bush administration and the CBO at that time estimated. Because Congress intelligently put this little clause in that said, if you don't enroll, we're going to penalize you for the rest of your life. So it works. Okay, so how come you have to come to me and your congressman can't explain that to you? Medicare is paid for out of a trust fund. Because all your work in life, you pay 1% of your income and your employer matches it. Okay, Uh, and if you're self-employed, you pay both sides into a trust fund that will begin that that is intended to pay for your care in retirement in the same way that you pay into Social Security so that it will be there for you. Medicaid, on the other hand, is current tax dollars. So you shouldn't be surprised that the Bernie Sanders Medicare, uh, you know, one, let's call it what it is, Medicare government-sponsored public single-payer system will be slower and will cost 
more money than the three trillion dollars that the U.S. economy currently spends on health care. So why is it that no Republican, no Republican congressman or congresswoman is going around their district explaining that to their constituents and urging their constituents to begin to do the things that we as consumers can do to begin to turn the cost curve, as Dr. Pearl has um, has outlined in our previous conversations, and we will again. And if you want more current information, go read Mistreated. He's got a really good plan. What we need to do, what Congress needs to do, is to move the direction of health care. And we're going to come back and talk about that and some other things that Congress could do that would boost the economy. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. So we need to finish up on health care because there are other things Congress should be doing. Congress really could do three things quite quickly. And I want you to ask, you know, if you go to a town hall or you listen to what your congressman's supposed to be home this month, your congressperson, I'm sorry, I'm represented by a woman, um, your congressperson is home this month and they should be spending some time doing some town halls, uh, coming out and talking to you about what they want to do for you and what you feel needs to be done for you. And what Congress could do, Congress needs to pass legislation that would long-term begin to move us to a more efficient, technically advanced healthcare system. They made some attempts at that in Obamacare. Um, in Medicare, there is there are provisions for quality control. Capitated models, like many of you out there, belong to Kaiser. Kaiser is that future, as is uh, the HMO at, at Palo Alto Medical Foundation, where you pay a fixed amount every month. Okay, so that means in in advance, so that that allows them to have it to smooth out the peaks peaks and valleys, and it allows them to spend more on technology and other things that make your healthcare more accessible and less expensive. The private sector, as we talked about last week, the ABC consortium is going to create massive change in how healthcare is delivered, but it'll be five years away. So what do we need to do in the meantime? How can your congressman help you in this robust economy to enjoy more of the benefit of your labor through wage increases because your employer is not paying down this ever, ever? This, it's, it, there is no bottom to the lake called healthcare costs in the United States. Well, what we could do is a public option that we put Congress members in. You know, I mean, how can you expect them to help us when they have the most expensive, the, the best possible care at, the, at, at almost no cost because they vote it for themselves? And so at some, time, at some point, you can actually go to reimagineamerica.org and, and do a search on health care and you'll find a, a pretty um, elaborate description of how we could have a public option which would create competition for the private insurance market and would overcome a whole lot of the objections that exist in Obamacare while still taking care of people who can't afford um, health insurance. But enough on health insurance. But of course, as long as people, as your Congress member is talking about health insurance, 
um, they don't have to talk about the tax plan or the fact that by executive order, for the first time in the history of the nation, this administration is discussing making a change to tax, to the rate of taxation, without going to Congress to pass a law because Congress was not going to pass that law. And that would be, um, that involves capital gains. And it's too complicated to discuss this morning. But if you're interested, um, we'll get to it um, on, another, on another day. <clears throat> that is if it takes, up, takes on any kind of momentum. But as long as we're talking about health care and a little bit about a strong economy, we don't even have to get to the subject of immigration. And in California, I worry that immigration is going to be an issue and that we need to have good answers for it. So, um, Jeff Denham, I applaud your efforts on behalf of that. Devin Nunez, I think you should be working harder on that um, and on NAFTA and on um countervailing, uh, avoiding countervailing tariffs because you represent a dairy district and that dairy district is going to be severely impacted by continued tariffs on cheese and dairy products coming from the United States into Mexico. So markets are important as we move on to talk about tariffs this morning. Tariffs have been, tariffs were until the passage in 1913 of the 16th Amendment that uh, provides for a nationwide income tax um, uh, voted for by Congress. In other words, the last three quarters of the states ratified that amendment in 1913. From 1789 to 1913, the primary source of revenue for the United States government, for the federal government, were tariffs. And tariffs made a great deal of sense in the fledgling years of the um, of the republic. Um, tariffs are, in fact, taxes on foreign goods entering the country, and they served two purposes in the early United States. In fact, through the late nineteenth century, one was they raised revenue for the federal government. And the other was they protected fledgling domestic manufacturing from foreign competition. But if you want to know how far back we go with tariffs and how we feel about them as consumers, you need look no further than tariffs on tea and other products that were a catalyst for the American Revolution. They were intended to provide revenue to the British crown, who was fighting wars all around the world at that point. Um, protection for the East India's uh, company, and the East Indies company was a uh, crown protectorate, and they were intended to raise additional money to protect Britain's supremacy on the sea. Well, (laughs) tariffs were also a part of what caused the Confederacy to finally um, try to secede from the Union because they felt they were being strangled Their agrarian economy was being strangled by tariffs on finished goods that were intended to protect fledgling American industries from European competition. And so 
by the end of the 19th century, there is actually something called the McKinley tariffs. And if you think the tariffs that Trumps are proposing are high, um, they are not. The McKinley tariffs went up to about 48 percent um, and were lowered were lowered by uh, the Wilson administration prior to World War One. But you know what? There were 490 separate tariffs. Smoot-Hawley was over 200 separate tariffs. Now, the difference between McKinley and Smoot-Hawley were um, faster ships. And the fact that the McKinley tariffs actually paid off the remaining debt from the Civil War. So um, lower tariffs, um, more production, uh, the United States becoming a net exporter led to the roaring economy in the 1920s. And it was the imposition of the Smoot-Hawley tariffs that were intended to protect American manufacturing after the crash of 29 that spread the contagion um, beyond the stock market into um, mass production around the world and contributed significantly to the Great Depression. And we have always been a trading nation, so we need to be really, really careful about how we use tariffs as an instrument of national policy, which is why the Founding Fathers gave the authority to impose tariffs outside of quote, national emergency, and by that they meant war. Go back and read the Federalist Papers. Okay, They left that to Congress. And Congress, you need to ask your congressmen, because we are a net exporter nation. The Chinese want to put a 68% tariff on our walnuts this year. Okay, We are a huge agricultural state. They're coming, the Chinese countervailing tariffs, and the Canadian and Mexican countervailing tariffs hurt California even more than they hurt the Midwest. And when you lose these markets, you don't lose them for a season. You lose them for a decade. So you need to be after your member of Congress to work with the administration. I'm absolutely, I can't tell you how firm I am about making sure that we make the Chinese pay, play by the rules. But Congress and the administration need to work together on a tariff package that enables American industry and American agriculture, because American agriculture is one of our biggest exports. We're hugely effective and productive, and we can feed the world, and the world needs that. So we need to preserve that capability. And we'll be back in just a moment with a few closing thoughts. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with just a few closing thoughts. The problem, you know, globalism is a reality. Globalism is something um, I'm, I'm intending to write about, not because talking about it on the radio is not going to be an effective mechanism. Globalism is a reality, and it's a changing reality. We thought at first globalism was going to be this wonderful level around the world, and we're finding it's not. We're finding it's quite the opposite. But that's a different problem than the problem we have with China. 
So when we're using tariff policy, and again, I want you to confront your congressman and understand why he or she is not working hard to regain control. I mean, they can pass legislation and put it on the president's desk that meets the real problem. And it's not Canada and it's not Mexico. Okay, we have issues with Canada and Mexico that need to be solved through finally renegotiating NAFTA. But the national security risk the United States faces quite clearly is and and, you know, again, Christopher Ray says this is a whole of society issue is aggressive Chinese um, that what they call their 2025 plan for global economic and intellectual supremacy. And their theory is if they need intellectual property and they can't buy it, and thank you, Congress, they won't be able to buy it in the United States. If they can't buy it, they steal it. Just a week or so ago, or two weeks ago, um, the FBI arrested a Chinese national trying to uh, board a flight to China out of Mineta Airport, out of the San Jose Airport, carrying the plans for Apple's proposed autonomous car. Yep. So there is a better way than than penalizing, and there is a better way to fix, um, to pr- protect our steel and aluminum industries without using a national security uh, provision in a tariff act against our Canadian and European allies. Uh, and that would come through an infrastructure bank. And if you want to know more about the infrastructure bank, uh, do a search at reimagineamerica.org. The idea that I had two years ago, we'd need to modify a little bit, but the way the bank would work is basically um, still the same. And on that note, um, I'm going to apologize. If you sent a comment in the last couple of weeks, I'm probably not going to respond to it because I've been... um, advised by um, the um, people who host my um, my uh, blog site and the site where you get your mp3 version your your podcast version of this radio broadcast uh, that some of those may in fact still be malware so if you sent me a comment in the last uh, couple of weeks and I have not yet answered it it's probably gonna need to be resent and I, you know, I, I want you to know that uh, I take very seriously your security. So we have done everything humanly possible. We've put two new firewalls up. We've uh, done an extensive amount of work on on malware. So uh, you can go to reimagineamerica.org um, and understand that you are now uh, quite safe um, from foreign intrusion. So if you have questions and you have topics you want us to, to, to uh, discuss on the air, um, send me an email at Joyce at reimagineamerica.org that will go through a hosting site but not through my site. Um, and I do try to respond to as many of your comments as I can. Reimagine America is independent and nonprofit. If you appreciate our independent, results-oriented, post-political voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. Have a wonderful week, confront your congressman, and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy.
Go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. Together, we can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.